Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. So before I introduce this week's guest, I just want to thank everybody who is a regular listener for being so loyal. And if you're a new listener, I'm so happy you're here. You could just take two minutes or less and rate me on iTunes. Five-star review would be awesome. That helps me keep current on the charts and really helps spread the word about the podcast. Today on the podcast, Liz Astroff. Liz is an amazing writer, so much so that she does that for a living. She's been writing and producing on many successful sitcoms for years, including Two Broke Girls, King of Queens, Last Man Standing, and The Connors. She recently wrote an amazing true life memoir called Don't Wait Up, Confessions of a Stay-at-Work Mom, now available on Amazon. I love this book. It's fantastic, really funny, but it's also really poignant. She opens up about her very tough childhood and how that's affected her own mothering. I was really excited to sit down with Liz to find out how the whole sitcom world works what the writer's rooms are really like, and how different is her world from the unscripted world. Okay, so I'm here with Liz Astroff. Am I pronouncing it right? Yes, Astroff. Yeah. Yeah. Is that that how I pronounce my name? Astroff, yeah, I think so. Yes. Um, So I always start by saying how I know my guest, and we were introduced through Lisa Ammerman, who's a mutual friend. I didn't even ask you how you know her. I know her through my friend Alex Jaffe, who I've been friends with for like, 25 years. Oh, I love my oldest friends. I love Lisa. Lisa's so great. I met her at a yoga class you'd appreciate since you're a yogi um, a million years ago in New York. Oh. Yeah, like 1999. Where? I mean, changing on the Upper West Side and, you know, one of those Bikram sweaty, disgusting places. Oh, I miss it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But I, every time I see her at one of Alex's things, I only see her at Alex's things, which is a lot. I immediately go to her. We just gravitate to each other and spend the whole, I spend more time with her than most people, but it's always through Alex. Yeah. Well, she's the one who turned me on to your book and she said, I have somebody I rec- you know, I'm going to recommend who's great. So I immediately got on Amazon, bought the book. The book is fantastic. Mm, so I guess my first question is like, what made you want to write the book? You've been a writer for obviously many years. We'll get into all of that. I'm so excited because you're my first scripted sitcom writer. <gasps> oh. So this is a huge, huge day. Thank you. Um, but just, you know, in terms of the book, it's a, it's a compilation of these wonderful essays that we'll get into, but what was the impetus for wanting to write it? Well, there were two things. First of all, I've always loved, um, I've always loved essay, like memoir style nonfiction essays like David Sedaris and Augustine Burroughs and um, like humor essays that were really dark and twisted. And I always thought I could write this about my family. And I always had these stories I wanted to tell, but being a TV writer, I would pitch these characters and networks would say they're too unlikable. They're no one's going to like them. This is not for network network TV. No one's going (laughs) to like them. So when I was on Whitney, I had a pilot that didn't go and um, that I'd written and I decided that I wanted to write something that was mine. And I had all these stories to tell. So I took a class at, UCLA extension because I really didn't want to be home at night over hiatus. (laughs) So um, I took this class and I loved it in personal memoir essay, in personal memoir essay writing. And um, I loved the homework. I loved writing these things. It was cathartic. We would just take different topics and I just kept going. It was a really slow process because I kind of didn't take it very seriously until um, I found a book agent but I just had this collection of essays and that you had written in the class. I had written them in the class. And then I met with a professor one-on-one and a different professor. And she kind of gave me, I said, I have these stories I want to write. A lot of them were garbage. 
She gave me notes. The notes were completely different than TV notes. And it was so weird and very challenging. And sometimes I was in a ball and then, and like, forget it, I can't do this. And then I just kept going back at it. And it really took a very long time to do the proposal because I wasn't really, I didn't really know what I was doing until I found a book agent and I was kind of like, I don't know if this will ever, it was a pipe dream for sure. And then I finished the proposal finally, it went out. And then from the time I sold the proposal to the time it was, the book was finished was a few months. Like it was six years of my class and kind of like meandering writing when I had time and TV took most of my time. And then I had like no time to write the book. Wow. How many of the original essays that you wrote in the class ended up in the book? I think four out of seven. Okay. And then I wrote the rest of them. In that four short at, window. Four, seven were in the proposal. I took three out. And then um, I had to add a lot. Did you have oh one? Oh my God, like 16. Wow. Yeah. So when you said you was that the professor had given you different notes than you were accustomed to in TV, it made me think, you know, at, fir- at first I have to say I'm shocked that you took a class. Cause I think like, well, you're a writer. That's what you do. Of course, this would just come easily. You could bang this out in your sleep. You're such a funny person with such great writing, but I guess it's a completely different muscle. Oh my God. It's completely different. And also like I needed something to push me to do it and not just like meandering <laughs> writing. But what happened was at the same time, there's this thing called this place called the Uncabaret. And this woman, Beth Lapidus has been doing this for like 30 something years where these comedians will do these comedy shows, these like Uncabaret random variety comedy shows on Sunday nights at a different place, wherever she is at the time. And I've always wanted to do that. And that was another bucket list thing. And I decided to try doing that. And I tried one of my stories out at one of those places. And so it was like killing two birds with one stone. So I would start writing them for that and then see if people like them. And then I would put them in the book and edit, you know, and just go back and forth. But anyway, so I still do that. So interesting. So there was a, there's a lot of personal stories in the book. Um, you, I, th- I said this to you off mic. I mean, to be perfectly candid, I, when I bought the book, I thought I was going to read a book about motherhood and, you know, just like, and which is great. I mean, I'm a mom. It's funny, you know, a, a, com- a funny book about motherhood is, is great, but it, it was so much more than that. I mean, you have some great chapters on your kids and your mothering. And I think how honest you are, it was almost sometimes it was so funny and sometimes it was really painful for you. Like just being an empathetic person, it was like, I wanted to give you a hug through the oh, book. Cause there was, I've gotten a lot of that. Yeah. It was it, it's so raw. I know. I, it's weird when it came out, I was like, Oh my God, I'm basically in my underwear in front of all these people. Yeah. I didn't re- literally in my underwear. <laughs> I didn't realize that. And also I'm such an open book and I would always tell these stories in writer's rooms about my family and growing up and the looks on people's faces were horrified <laughs> and jaws dropping. And I'm like, what? That was, this is just like anecdotal to me. So when people say to me about, you know, and then people said, you need to go, you need to write this stuff you need to write your stories. Like people would always say that. And, um, and I always wanted to, but I was like, what's the big deal? And then even people who read it now are like, I just want to hug you. And I'm like, really? Is it that bad? (laughs) It just made me who I am. But yeah. Also then I'm like, you know, did I exaggerate? And then, you know, my brother is like, you did not exaggerate. Wow. So, and then, but, but when it came out, I was like, oh my God, you're naked in front of 
all these people. I mean, hopefully a lot of people. Does it feel weird now knowing that all your friends and family and stuff, they, they know all of this? I mean, cause you talk so much about your childhood and you had a very, very difficult mother. And yeah. I don't want to go too in depth right now, but um, you know, your struggles with your weight and the family dynamic regarding that. I mean, there's just so much there and it's really hard to, to read it and take it in. I mean that now knowing that all these people now know, know. all of those intimate things does it freak you out a little, a little bit because you're inviting, you almost make yourself a character. Like I'm such a character in a way <laughs> that like my husband treats me like I'm a character. And sometimes I get upset. Like you treat me like I'm this like, you know, annoying character who's always getting in, us in trouble and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but I'm a person. But then I put all these things out there and make myself a character. <laughs> well, so, I think actually it was a beautiful balance because yeah. I think sort of the, the essays about your kids, you were a little more of a character because it was right. sort of like, ah, I've been chicken with my head, the head cut right. off and all these crazy, funny things happen to you and your kids. And just like, it's just so awesome because it makes all of us feel better about like all the, like, I love oh, how many times you. you said you lie to your kids because I lie to my kid all I the time. I lie to them constantly. Yeah. And I love, it's harder but now. just to admit that as a parent, it was so freeing for me yeah. to read it. Cause I don't really admit that out loud, but like, yeah. I probably lie to her like at least five times a week. I lie constantly to them <laughs> and I'm realizing now that they're older, they have ways of finding things out. Yeah, like I'm going to have to shut down my whole Instagram, first of all, <laughs> when they start going out. They're not allowed on social media. Oh, Less for the me. fact that it's so, you know, there's so much like R-rated and like stuff and whatever. And, you know, scary news stuff. It's yeah. more that they will see what I think of them. That's hysterical. I'm honestly more afraid of that <laughs> than anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm as I said at the beginning, I'm so excited to talk to you because I've, I don't even know that I know any sitcom writers. So really? this is very wow. exciting. Yeah. So, so your story is that, um, you did this Warner brothers program, which was the break. Um, and then you landed in a, a show named a, call, a show called Jesse with right. Christina Applegate. Then what happens? Like, is this the typical way? Like kind of, cause uh, uh, most of my listeners are in either, you know, interested in the unscripted world or know the unscripted world, but we don't know, like, I'm very naive when it comes to like how things happen in this part of Hollywood. So what's the typical trajectory? Well, what would happen is that it's almost like, unless you get on a show that is coming back, which I've never, I've always been so grateful on Two Broke Girls, every hiatus that we were coming back, King of Queens, like all those shows, Becker, that I was on that had more than one season is a huge gift because you don't have to worry like everyone else, like in TV and especially, well, in comedy or drama and scripted, you're out of a job every few months. But don't you're you also, starting over. But don't you not know necessarily until- You don't know. But I'm saying even on the re those returning shows, they don't always guarantee. No, then they're on the bubble. So right. if they're not doing, if they're not renewed early on. Got it. Then they're called what's called on the bubble. And when Two Broke Girls got canceled, it's an essay that I did not put in the book because it's about, it's about development, which is where you sell a pilot and you write it. And I want to talk about that too. Um, when that show got canceled, it was so unexpected and I was at my kid's school birthday snack and it was the end of the year and I was going to be present and I was going to like not focus on work because we were just waiting for the pickup. And my phone just started blowing up and I looked over and there was a text from my friend Michelle Nader who ran the show with me the last year and it just said, it's dead. And I screamed, it's dead at school. <laughs> and every, the worst, the thing that was almost worse about it is that every person, including the school nurse and every teacher and mom came to me, they knew it meant the show was dead and they hugged me Aww. and the nurse, I remember the nurse rubbing my back and just saying, it's a fickle business. 
And I was so devastated and shocked. I mean, and it was probably, it's like always financial reasons. It's always like a, right. a one actor's contract, or in this case, it was like licensing between the network and the studio. And it's like wow. done, dead. How many seasons was that? Six. Oh, wow. And then when did you join that show? I joined second or third season. And then when you join up, did you join as the EP? No, I joined as a co-EP and then I wound up, I wound up an EP the last two years. And was that your first show that you officially EP'd? Yeah. Okay. So again, and this is like to the uninformed, explain again, I know what an EP is in my business, but in your world, it's the main writer, but also you're in charge of all the writers. It's so murky. Yeah. An EP <laughs> has so many different, like people always say like, you're a writer and producer. Like I didn't really produce anything. I was going to ask like, about I see that producers too. What does that people mean? who like raise the money or like right. find like the trucks to move <laughs> things. And like, I don't transpo, like I don't do any of that, but as an EP and what I did is I would run the writer's room. So I'd be involved in hiring. I would read scripts for hiring. I would be in all the meetings for staffing and decide and all the staffing hiring decisions and firing decisions and stuff like that. And then, um, and I would run the rewrites and run the writer's room and then, you know, and, and we would like approve casting and stuff like that. So when you're in the writer's room and again, I've only seen this from shows that depict this, you it's one writer that ultimately one or two writers that are ultimately going to write the episode, but it's all the writers in the room breaking story yeah. together. Yeah. So like a bunch of people will come up. You really only need like four people, more than four voices. And you want to blow your brains out. Well, it's how many very, are like, there usually? Sometimes there are four and sometimes there are 15. Oh God. I mean, I've been on shows where there are 15 people in a room and you're just, it's such a waste of human space. Like it's such a waste <laughs> of time for everyone. And like, it's a bummer. Like you're just sitting there doodling and, um, eating and, <laughs> and then also everyone's voices by the end of the year become so annoying and your own, even your own like ticks, your own like right. mouth sounds. You're just sitting there like, like wanting to kill everyone chewing. in your head. You just want to kill everyone. Yeah. And what's the ratio male, female in these rooms? There's like no in? women. There are like two That's women, one woman. It's still very, um, archaic in that way. Um, but anyway, so a few people usually come up with a story together, break it out. And then someone, if there's time in the beginning of the year, usually the first scripts, everybody goes and writes their own and then they get notes and they rewrite it and the whole room rewrites it together and pitches on it and stuff. And it's really a group process. I don't take ownership over anything I've written. I don't remember my jokes. I don't like, for better or worse. There are a lot of people who remember their jokes and right. so attach a lot of- In and out. I'm so self-loathing that I'm just like, <laughs> I can't even imagine I came up with anything good, but it's fine. It keeps me going. Oh, girl. So, um, so King of Queens, you went, I mean, that ran forever. Yeah. What season did you, I think I joined five, maybe it's weird to join a show. I was going to ask that. So what's that like? Well, first of all, everybody is already both shows, both. I've never been on the ground floor of a show that stayed on for a long time. Maybe that's good for the show. <laughs> um, maybe it wouldn't have been around, but I'm always, there's clicks that have already formed. It's like, it's like survivor. I think survivor was actually based on, not on like Darwinism or anything like that or whatever it's based. I think it was based on, um, comedy writing rooms, like people, <laughs> like their alliances already. People are already like closed doors and people talking about each other. It depends like the more toxic and some shows aren't like that, but everybody, already has their, you spend so much time with these people. It's like your family. It's like you're in a really sick, weird relationship with these people, especially King of Queens where we would work until like five in the morning. And 
you you're so close and it's like this love hate thing and it was very clicky and it was very hard to break into and actually when I started there it was so hard to break in that I wasn't even allowed in the writer's room in the beginning even though you were a writer yeah because they where didn't were want, you um <laughs> I was in the, my office but they didn't want they didn't want the new people in the room Ew. and they were very um exclusionary is that the word that sounds like the word thanks not yeah. inclusive and it was I would cry in my office and one of the people who worked there who was also new and not allowed in the room but he was higher up than me and he wound up leaving he would say to me go in your office and write your stories and write a book and at that point that was like 10 years before I wrote the book or 12 but I was like no I want to write for this fat guy and his wife in Queens. Yeah. Wait, okay, I, hold on. If I can't do that, I'm moving back to New York. Right. But so I, I pushed myself into the room. I forced my way into the room. But I don't understand. And again, maybe I'm naive, but I don't understand what you're doing if you're not in the writer's room. What was the expectation? Nothing. They don't care. Just go. Like there were always like a separate room where you'd go to like do busy work. It really can be very terrible because you don't need a lot of people. I've ever heard. But it was like to get, ex- the worst thing is that like, you want to be accepted in something that nobody wants to do. Like you want to be allowed to stay until three in the morning. Like when I got sent home at five o'clock at night and I could go to yoga, I was like, but I want to stay here and get really fat, but I want to eat out of styrofoam. That's probably going to kill me someday. I'm also surprised that that was the one room you mentioned that everyone was up till five in the morning. Cause I would think that's the best oiled machine, a show that's a stalwart like that. Oh, of course. And also it's a great oiled machine. It doesn't matter. It's the work ethic. It's the, punishing it's the indecisiveness and also then the people that were running the show at the time had worked on shows where they stayed till three in the morning so it just comes down it's like repeat behavior like when I worked on Becker um Dave Hackle my boss had worked on a show Wings where they left at five o'clock every day they knew what they were doing Frazier he worked on Frazier they worked civil hours and he was like we're out of here by 5 30 and I honestly think not one and on Raymond they worked really good hours on two broke girls we worked really good hours except show nights were late but it was like if you can't nothing good happens after nine o'clock at night well this is funny that you say this because your whole premise of the book is that you're the mom that doesn't want to come home (laughs) at night so you would think if you're the one running the show you're going to keep everyone there late so you don't have to go home I know I know right I would never be that way though because I would always want to go to yoga right or go anywhere I would rather sit in my car (laughs) but the older I've gotten the less fun that is like it used to be really fun on Jesse we stayed till three in the morning and I was like young and I was like this is this was like the fun I didn't have in college. Right. No, it's and a young now, man's game. And now it's like four o'clock in the afternoon and I'm like, <laughs> when am I going to get the fuck out of here? <laughs> totally. Can I make this class? Can I make that class? So that's why I actually left the Connors last year. I was on Roseanne. Was, yeah. The morning she sent that tweet. It was our first day. My first day. I joined, Stop. Well, Whitney wanted me to come on the first year. And yeah. I said no, because I went on trial and error, my brother's show and consulted. I love that show, by the way. How funny Such was that? Such an understated. I mean, so good. I love true crime and I love sitcoms. Me too. So it was the perfect. Obsessed. My brother and yeah. I are obsessed with true crime. Yeah. We were obsessed with the staircase and the jinx. Exactly. And, there were, and, and I caught all the references. Everything. So yeah. we. Did he create that He show? created it. Okay. And we both were like, and I'd like to take credit for telling him too. Yes. But we were both. Um, so I worked on that show as a consultant yeah. and that's another example of like contracts and money and like just, it wasn't promoted. I mean, it's it was brilliant. on the wrong network in my opinion. Ne- it was, it should have been like, on like Hulu or something. Yes, cable. Yes. Or Netflix. Yeah. yeah or it pop felt, TV. It even. had like an arrested development kind of yes, quirk to it. It was in the wrong place. It was in the wrong network. And I remember watching it going, this is on NBC. I know. I know. It was, it was so it's funny. It's so funny and brilliant and smart. That's, I'm very proud of that job. You should be. It's a great um, show. So Even then, though we so, fought a lot. 
<laughs> it was your brother. Yeah. Um, okay. So then Whitney wanted you to come over to Whitney do Roseanne. Whitney wanted me to on Roseanne. So I went, I was on trial and error the year before, and then I was doing my own thing and I was, and then Roseanne. So I went the second year. She tweeted that Whitney left, didn't tell me she was leaving, then left. Then um, <laughs> Roseanne tweet, sent that tweet. We got sent home. It was my first day. <laughs> we got sent home. Like weeks or a month later, I was writing the book. It was perfect timing because I had, I really needed to leave anyway and write the book. I really, it was, she did me a favor. But then we found out they were doing the Connors and Sarah Gilbert is a friend of mine. And she was like, we're doing the Connors. We started Monday. It was the weirdest situation I've ever been in. It was a room of like, they still are. God bless them. Whoever that is. <laughs> um, they are still there, but it's these men who don't care what women have to say. And just, we were just sitting there and I was like having panic attacks because I actually was like, my kids are home and they need me and they know I'm not there. And I'm sitting here with like cold Chinese food and not even, no one's listening to a word I'm saying. No one's listening to a word anyone's saying except for these three men. And Norm MacDonald was on the show once a week and I love him. And he looked at me and he was like, you got to get out of here. <laughs> You get a good norm. And I was like, wow, I'm going to get out of here. Yeah. And I got up and I said, I want, I need to be home. And I left. And and I've was, never left a show. I've been on 16 shows <laughs> and it's the first one I left. Good for you. Yeah. But what's up with that? Like, I don't I'm know. shocked that so misogynistic. Sarah it was Gilbert crazy. would put up with Well, that. she wasn't really in the room. Okay. I don't think she wanted, you know, I mean, she's worked with these guys forever. And they Bruce came Humphrey. from Roseanne too. They came from Roseanne and she trusted them and stuff. And I guess, I mean, the show got picked up again, but it really, and I got to write an episode and I'm proud of that, but it was, it was just, kind of torture to be really roundly ignored. And especially since I'd just come from running a show yeah, and from really contributing. And I was like, I, if I'm, I'm not going to waste my, I'm not going to waste my time here. I was like eating a bunch of junk. <laughs> Isn't that the wisdom of, uh, you know, getting older, getting yes. more experience. Like you would, like you said, you would have never done that in your twenties or, you know, no. it's like stayed. you have to have that confidence to know like, yeah. this is not worth my while. And I was having, and then that's when I had to like really write the book. I had to do a rewrite on yeah. it in the next few months. And I was like, I got stuff to do. I walked out of there and I was like, I did not lie. I was like Jerry Maguire with my fish. I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> And, uh, and nobody out. followed. And then, yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody followed me. Not but, even Renee. Um, but, but it was, it was very freeing. That's awesome. I didn't, it was like when I broke up with my writing partner though, where I was like, if I don't work again, fine. Yeah. You just have to do it. It was and like then, a physical toll. Of course so. the writing opened up and then, you know, you have your book. I mean, it yeah. just, it always is a good thing. So I'm curious about, um, the two broke girls story that you said you had originally had in the book and then you took out about it was a development story. Oh yeah. Because I'm curious how that works. I mean, I know that there's, you know, tons of pilots and you create yeah. it and that's the goal is obviously to create something that you can run. So tell me about that. And just in general, like those stories for you. Well, what I always think of, first of all, I've developed, so I've written so many pilots and it's just such a, it's, you know, they pick up, they buy hundreds of pilots every year and then like five get made or 10. It's such it's, a lottery. The odds are the worst. The odds are so, the wind blows a certain way. <laughs> I've been told so many times, like start looking for directors and then it doesn't happen and you're crushed. You're like just ripped open. Um, it's awful, awful, awful. And you know, the other side of it is that you kind of make your own hours if you're developing. I've always done both where I've worked on a show and written a pilot at the same time. But now that I have kids, it's harder. And I was writing the book and whatever. So with Two Broke Girls Ended, I decided I wanted to, I had the script deal at Warner Brothers 
And what I always say is like the headshot that they put in the trades when you sell a pilot is not the picture they should show. They should show a picture of you <laughs> actually developing the show where you're, you have a bald spot and you have food all over you and your <laughs> eyes are bloodshot from crying okay. and you're like, your glasses are, you can barely see out of them and you're just, you're, <laughs> you're miserable. Your skin is falling off. You're, um, you have eczema on your face. Like you're just a wreck and you're bleeding, spontaneously <laughs> bleeding. It is so stressful because you come up with something, you get two broke girls, your idea. No, 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 no. Right. Okay. So I was just trying to come up with my own Sorry, thing. Got it. I came up with something else. Got it. Um, like Can you I say with the premise. Yeah. It was called, um, it was, I said to my husband, I go, none of my stuff gets made because it's too, I care too much about it. And it's too based on me and the characters are too unlikable. Right. So I make, so I'm like, I need but I feel an like idea. that's hot now. Uh, that is now. <laughs> but I was like, I need something that I don't care about at all. Or that I don't relate to. Not yeah. that I don't care about because right, I'm obviously right. going to care about it, but right. that I don't relate to and something like right down the middle. So we started with like the idea of something having to be split down the middle like a house. So he, we started talking about how his dad, um, when his parents were still married, his dad lived, wouldn't, didn't move out and his mom's boyfriend would come over. And I was like, okay. Yeah. So what if- How has that um, shown up and made? Well, so then I was like, what if a woman is engaged to a guy and then her- ex-husband gets out of jail 20 years early for like embezzling money or something. And he comes home and they have a son together, but the son doesn't know about him because he agreed to, you know, say he was adopted or whatever and, or say his dad was a war hero. And he comes home and he owns half the house because she never filed the papers with her name, with his name off of them or whatever. Cause she's so disorganized. So Sold. they had to split the house down the middle. Yeah. Great idea. So I'm like that, and it was called the big house. I was going to say, is it called the halfway house? <laughs> that's actually really good. See, we sell it with that. It goes through. I sold it to Warner Brothers, the idea to Warner Brothers. Then you hire producers who are non writing producers, but they're supposed to be like on your side. They wear jeans so that like creative people, so that they look creative <laughs> and writers trust them. And then they, they give you notes. And then you have, suddenly you're working for them. And then you get notes. You get notes from them and then the thing, you know, you write a, a story area and it goes, to, like you write a pitch and it goes to the studio. Then the studio gives you notes. Then it goes through the, the producers again. Then they give you notes and it goes back to the studio. Then you pitch it. Then you sell it to a network. And then you go through about 30 rounds of notes every single time to move one step forward. You go through notes and notes and notes and notes to where you... You've ruined it. You completely don't know what you're writing anymore. And I got uh. to the point with this where... And, and in the essay that I wrote that I didn't put in the book because it was so inside and it would probably burn too many bridges, but I had been trying for 20 years to do a handstand in yoga and I would, every day I would throw myself against the wall and I'd fall <laughs> and I was like, I'm just not strong enough. I'm just too heavy. I just can't do it. I can't like, and I would just fling myself against the wall. And then while I was going through this writing process, I had written something I completely didn't recognize. I hated it. It was garbage. And I was at yoga one day and I was throwing myself against the wall. And my teacher said, stop, shut up, breathe, just trust 20 years of practicing. And I did, and I was quiet and I did, and I floated up into a handstand like nothing. And then I applied that to my writing where I was like, trust literally 20 years of practicing. And I wrote it the way I wanted to, and they loved it. And then it didn't wind up going anywhere because I had to take the element out where the, uh, the ex-husband owned half the house because the network thought that was too unlikable. 
and not believable that someone would be motivated by finance by finances, which uh, is really out of touch whoa, to me. Uh, what? Yeah. And also, wait a minute. You take that element out. How is it even a show? Exactly. So it was that the or that show. It was that they just let him live there, and it it waters things down so much. And I was like, why can't I just? And then I look like an asshole because I'm like, but he owns half the house because she's disorganized. She never sent him. She didn't think he was going to get out of prison early. She didn't know about overcrowding. But can like FX do that? I don't know. Like- then so then they give you the speech where they're like, you know, you know, someone might say we want a show like this, and it's just just dead for now and then you cry and cry and cry and you know these characters live in your head yeah and it sounds so precious and ridiculous but they really do live in there and you're like you're kind of like walking around with them like what do I do with them now like you build sets in your head and you know I have this um I'll just tell the story quick I wrote this thing while I was on two broke girls this cable spec a spec is a sample that you write on your own not paid for that you try to sell after you write it and it was my very good friend in high school passed away when we were like 42 and she had um, young children and I went back to my town in Long Island and I hadn't been there in 20 years and everybody looked like our parents. I didn't recognize anyone and I was like, holy shit, we're in our 40s. Like we are our parents. We're going to die someday. And I wrote this thing about these best friends from Long Island who upend their lives in grief and they pivot and they make terrible decisions in grief and um, they, you know, they, they mess up their lives. And I wrote this thing and I wrote it like four, three years ago and I sold it to Warner Brothers. But before I sold it to them, they were like, we don't think anybody wants to see any like women on TV especially in their forties. And it was right after big little lies had aired. And I'd been sitting on this script for months and months. Cause I was on two broke girls and I wanted to wait till I was done. And then handmaid's tale was out and they were like, people don't want to see women. And I was like, you know what? I just did a handstand in yoga. So how do we make this a, a success? Like I wasn't going to take no for an answer and they did buy it. It's taken this long for anything to happen with it. It was three years ago. And now I think I'm finally maybe, doing it somewhere but it's like I mean writing you know developing it somewhere but it's like I mean that's all people are buying now like how could that not be something now but anyway as you were saying about dead to me you were saying you like dead to me I wrote that I wrote mine which is also about grieving I wrote mine two years before she pitched that show and then I got texts from people at cable network saying we love it but we have that show already so it's like it was that show yeah and it's like you know Uh, i mean and she's my friend and i'm happy for her but it's like it sucks for me in a way timing and it's it's so much timing zeitgeist everything but i will not i would not give it up and i still will not give it up good now were the people that told you um no one wants to watch women on tv were those people men there were women and And that's that's what made me depressing that was even sadder they were like it pains us to say and the minute they said, they started the phone call with, you're such a good writer. And I was, and I just typed into my computer, they hate it. Oh, and it was true. God. Like they didn't, I was like, they hate it. And I just wrote, I'm so sad. And, um, and then I just stood up and I said, I'm not taking no for an answer because Matt Weiner, who did Mad Men, yeah. I worked with him on Becker and I knew him a million years ago, but he wrote that script 10 years before it got made. Right. And he made all of us read it. And my brother, actually, this is notorious, infamous. My brother read Mad Men and he was like, listen, <laughs> it's really commendable that you wrote a period piece, put this in a drawer and don't show it to anybody. <laughs> I think I've heard that story, not knowing it was your brother. It was my brother. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, wow. but, and then he took, well, not, he fired his agent over. He yeah. wouldn't take, you know, my essays, my agent, my old agent 
had my essays and he never sent them on. I asked him to help me find a book agent and he never did. And I know? left him because I, he told me, I called him on it wow. and he had never done something else. And I left him and, you know, it leaving him was a big deal because he was a very, like a good agent, but he, he just, he failed me in that way. And I left him and my new agent, the way he got me to sign him was to, um, with a fruit platter, but also <laughs> he sent my essays to a book agent in New York and she, at our agency and she signed me. So anyway, he did something. He did something. Yeah. <laughs> what an accomplishment. What an accomplishment. An he made an a phone call. Move. I know he made a it's phone call. It's sad how grateful we are I'm when so people grateful. do their jobs. Even just standing up. Right. <laughs> it really helped me. I so. mean, so what do you have going on now? Now I am developing, I'm developing hopefully that show about my friend who died. Um, and I'm like, they're like working that out. I am going to be turning the show, the book into a show. I was wondering. For CBS Studios. I don't know when I'll be doing that exactly, but it probably will be cable. And then I'm doing for CBS, I'm developing a, um, turning in this Israeli show into a, it called La Familia. Um, I'm developing it for CBS and it's about a couple who, in the Israeli version, they are this happy couple, like quirky, like everybody else. They live in the divorce capital of the country and their friends are dropping like flies. So, and every single person who's lived in their house has been divorced. Everyone who's, even the architect and the contractor have gotten divorced. So they go to couples counseling and it's kind of like in flashbacks from the couch, you see like their, you know, their lives and stuff. And it's, um, it's very funny, the Israeli version, but it's about this couple who winds up in couples therapy so that they don't become a divorce statistic and they kind of get to know each other again after 20 years of marriage, like the stuff that they didn't realize bothered. Like yeah. my husband and I, every time we go to a therapist for our kids, and this is what made me love it so much, is the therapist will say, I actually don't need to see him. I need to see you. You're the problem. And I'm like, no, us. he's the one go. with the anxiety. <laughs> so she had had us write down the qualities of a boss that we didn't like. So I look over at my husband's paper and I'm like, you're describing me. And Oops. he goes, no, I'm not. And it's like, I'm like manipulative controlling are the same thing. Take one out. And I'm like, also you're spelling condescending wrong. That's not how you spell it. There's an S and a C. I mean, it's a sound. And then I was like, I don't know why you didn't quit that job. And he's like, I tried, but we wound up kind of in couples counseling because our kid, our kids needed it in a way, but it's not like anything was gravely wrong with our marriage, but it's just the stuff that like gets, you know, we bailed on it quickly. Well, not to, uh, not to bring it down, but have you seen couples therapy on Showtime? Do you know about the show? No. It is the most, I'm having the filmmakers on the podcast in a couple of weeks. It's, oh my God. Is a, it on now? Did you ever see the doc? Yeah. Did you ever see the documentary Wiener? About, um, about Anthony Wiener? No. So it's the film. You got to see that too. Okay, I'm watching it's a classic. You got it. Oh, it's, it's, you'll, you'll die. Okay. So it's the filmmakers that did that. And it's, it follows, it's a documentary series that follows four couples through couples therapy for 20 weeks. You will love it. It is it's already fascinating. On? So you can binge all nine episodes. Oh my God. Yeah, it's intense. Okay, I have one last question. It's very important. So when I was stalking you on social media, yes. I saw that you were on the Howard Stern wrap-up show. Yes, and I'm doing it again. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm doing so it in October. I've been a Stern fan October. for over 30 years. I'm obsessed. Yeah, I mean, since I was in high school. Um, So, I mean, how, what, what? Uh, I've been since high school too. I don't know this, the publicist in New York, the New York, the publicist here was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to do a Howard Stern wrap up show. 
anything to meet him. We have the same birthday. Um, I listened to him my entire, well, I had to write, so I had to write a pitch letter because they were like, you know, a lot of people say, you know, so they were like to do it from LA. Cause I was like, I'm not going to fly. I would fly in for it. So but do they you kinda, Skype in? Is that how it happens? They have a studio here now. Right. So but Rashawn, I'm saying, but ha- like, oh, Rashawn's here. Yeah, he's here. So oh, he kidding. set it up. Yeah. So, like, but they weren't going to just set, <laughs> like he's my friend. They weren't going to just set it up for me because they were like, this is, you know, it's a lot for us to have to right. do. And people say they're fans, but they really yeah. just saw the movie in 1996. <laughs> so, which if you're a fan, by the way, I don't like, I didn't love private parts. I, I feel like when the fans, it was very soft. Well, it just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not him. Really. No. So, um, I had to write, they're like, we don't need a thesis, but if she could just write, you know, why? And I wrote this thesis about how he, it's the most consistent relationship I've had with a man my entire life Me and how too. I'd sit in the Long Island Railroad parking lot and watch my train go by. And like, and they were like, we're in. So it was great. It was probably the best day of my year. And then I'm doing it. I'm going to New York for a book thing, for an author event thing. Um, and I email, I've been emailing with Gary about the Peloton uh, and, oh and he, um, and I was like, I'm going to be in New York and I come back and he was like, Oh my God. Yes. And then they emailed me and they're going to be on vacation and Gary's going to be away of course when I'm there. So I'm going to co-host it with John Hine. Well, I, I, Isn't that exciting? I am officially a hundred percent jealous. Oh my God. This is amazing. Yeah, I told I mean, this story before in the podcast, so I'm not going to get into it, but I can tell you off mic. I spent three days with Artie Lang. <gasps> Doing, uh, yeah, back way back when, when he was like oh in the throes God. of it, filming something that was going to become a show that never did because he stabbed himself 19 times. By the and way. And I've had lunch and dinner with Beth many times. So have? I've always been one degree. Yeah, it's <gasps> always been one degree away from Howard. So I feel like he's in all my dreams. I'm like, jealous it's of the Beth connection. Beth is. the animal Beth, stuff. Beth lives up to the hype. Beth, I'm sure she Beth does. Is really just well, I know the lovely. Really good love with her. Yes, they're very oh, close. Oh, that's really She's nice. She's great. Yeah. So but I Artie, feel. I just saw his face and his makeover. By Not the way, his makeover. His new by nose. the way, take away the nose. He looks the best he looked. Yeah. I mean, you can't really take Can away the nose. Can they give him a no- new nose? I, or is I that said the I, new nose. Well, of course, Paul Nassif from Botched is like, I would uh, work yeah, on yeah, Artie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, of course you would. Yeah. So um, I hope he gets a new nose. But if he could live, anyone can. I hundred percent. Honestly, like there's a second, second Completely. chapter for everyone. And then to close out the stern thing, I start every podcast saying hello, 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 hello. <laughs> My yoga teacher afterwards was like, "Mama, morning, <laughs> guacamole." Um, well, this has been so much. I mean, I have a million other questions, but we got, we got this is the wrap up of the wrap up, the wrap up show. Um, this is so much fun. Thank you. Thank Everyone you. has to go get, get, let's plug your book and your social media. So we know where to find you and where to buy the book. It is called don't wait up confessions of a stay at work mom. And <laughs> I'm Liz Astroff on Instagram and Twitter. And I think uh, Facebook also. Yeah. Is Liz Astroff. I'm the only person A-S-T-R-O-F, still uses Facebook. As in Frank. Yeah. And, um, and your book's available on Amazon. My book obviously. is available on Amazon, Simon and Schuster. It's available at Barnes and Noble and some other bookstores. And, um, and look out for the show. And I have a website, lizastroff.com that has all my stuff I've done. It'll have this on it and stuff. Amazing. We will be looking out for all of it and Thank everybody you. buy the book. Oh, this is so fun. 